don't know me or you haven't met me, I'm Pastor Eric. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Common Ground Northeast, and it's good to have you all out. Um, we got a little bit of snow out there, so I hope, hope it wasn't too slippery on those roads, but you made it here, and I'm glad that you did this morning. Um, so I wanted to kind of just start off by saying a couple of different things. One is just say welcome and to say Happy New Year, right? I want to hear you all say that with me. Just proclaim it out there. Happy New Year on three. One, two, three. Uh, I won't make you repeat it again, um, but there is something about that idea of New Year that gets into us, that settles into us, right? It's something that causes us to rethink through the different seasons that we've been walking through, and it's a point where our culture stops and asks a lot of questions about our history and about what's going to happen next. And so as I say Happy New Year, the idea is that this new year would be better than the last one. It's a possibility that we have a new start, that we have new opportunities in front of us. And so it's like that moment of taking grasp of that for us in this season as we start. And the reality is here at Common Ground Northeast, it is a new us. It's a new common ground northeast because we in this space and those who are catching us online right now are made up of multiple parties. And so I just want to kind of acknowledge this sense of newness that we are feeling in this moment. Um, and then over the last couple of months, um, as some changes have taken place, one is just that idea that we saw um, when Common Ground Midtown was planted originally, it was in Broad Ripple, and, and what happened was is it was growing. There was a sense of in Northeast Indy, there needed to be another expression, and so they planted that church. And so the, the original planting group that came out here had this vision to see what God could do in terms of a church expression like Common Ground Midtown that could come and be a part of a movement here in Northeast Indy. I think as they settled in, there were others that came along, right? So you had that original group that said, I feel this vision. I am going to go be a part of it. And then others that came and said, I have, have become familiar with this vision, and I'm going to join in with it out here in this area. And so there's this idea of planting that was new in that season. And then as we've talked about this COVID, uh, you know, kind of the, 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 the next level of COVID that we're walking through in this moment, um, one of the things, I heard a pastor say this uh, recently, is that whether you know it, whether you want to admit it, whether you acknowledge it or not, we are not the same as when we went into the COVID pandemic. So we personally, as people, have changed, and so has our church. Some, in some senses, a localization has taken place. And then now we have, um, over this last couple of months, we've had so many people coming and checking us out. And a lot of the story is this. We moved in during, this, uh, during COVID in the last six months, in the last year, maybe a little bit more. And then it was like, well, how do you pick a church when you've moved in during COVID, how do you even go check places out? And so you try to check things out online, and some people have come uh, and, and decided to make Common Ground their home. Well, in the midst of that, too, we have also hired a new pastor, our associate pastor, Ken Rush. Everyone say, what's up, Ken? <laughs> and so what I want to do is acknowledge, like, there's these, this multiple party thing coming together, and now in, inside of that, Ken, Pastor Ken has this, uh, this community of people that he has been leading called the Healing Place Church. And so many of them are coming to check us out and kind of say, like, God, discerning, God, is this where we need to be next as a part of this new expression? And so we've said it, and perhaps it's an understatement. We have to embrace this idea that we are now a new church. 
We are a new us here and in this season. And so it's a good time to stop and take stock like many people do in the new year and to say, God, create in us something new. And so in order to help us navigate this season over the next month, what we want to do is look in the scriptures and say, where does God do new stuff? And there's no lack for that inside of the scriptures, right? There's new creations, there's new people, there's new wine like we just sang about. There's all things new. There's all these principles locked up inside of those different ideas that as God is teaching about newness and new things, he wants us to embrace some of these ideas, I believe, as we walk into this season, if we want to do it well and if we want to do it together. And so one of those that I want to start with today is a new land or a new location, Now, it's often a metaphor for a faith journey that we walk in all kinds of seasons in our life. But what I want to do is open our scriptures today to Exodus uh, here in just a second. Exodus chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open that. We'll get to it. Let me set this up just a little bit. But Exodus 2 is where we're going to land. Now, if you didn't know, in leadership circles, resources, books, et cetera, et cetera, conferences that you go to, they love to talk about uh, a few things, and one of those is new, right? Helping leaders lead people into new things. And so I'm going to kind of like pull the veil back on that and give you some of those ideas that they tell us, because one of the things that happens is if you're going to lead people into something new, what you have to do, what you're going to have to make sure without a shadow of a doubt to do is to cast vision, right? You've heard this before. You've got to cast vision. Leaders should always, and this is usually some version of this, paint a crystal clear picture of the future location in a way that compels the masses to want to move forward and into that new thing. And so I want to call this over here point B. Now let me read this to you because I know not everyone can see it from where they're at. Point B, you must paint a crystal clear picture of the future location. And then we have the flip side to that though, right? On the other side of a future location, you have that past location or the beginning, the part that you start from. And so I want to name this as point A. And it says this, you must create a clean cut from the former location. And so this is kind of that rhythm that in leadership circles they tell you. Clean cut from the old, paint a picture that is undeniably crystal clear so that all people know exactly what we're going to. You have to let go of the way that things used to be. You have to let go of the land that you used to occupy. And on this subject, they'll say something like this. As a leader, you can't get people to move on to something new before you convince them they can't stay in the place they were already at. Or part of vision casting is that before you can move to point B, you have to loosen your grip on point A. And so you must create a clean cut from the former location. And so the idea is that, is, is that this, uh, if we want continual movement, if we want to see change in our lives, it requires a constant rhythm of rocking back and forth between we got to loosen ourselves from point A and we got to move ourselves and motivate ourselves towards point B. How many of you have seen or heard or uh, saw some iteration of this along the way? Got a couple of hands up. There we go. Now we got more. All right. In creating discontent with the static placement of here, and I want to be clear, I'm not even naming where here is yet. You get to apply that in your own life. What is the here in your life that you are static in? You have to loosen from that you can move on to wherever there is. And I think all of us have been in some version of this at some point in our lives. And this is what I want to say. This idea is true enough, right? It kind of helps to serve a purpose. It helps us paint a picture. helps guide us in some ways. But this has been my experience that as soon as you drop God into the mix of a situation— 
Things are all of a sudden not as clean cut as you thought they would be. The future is not always as clear, right? Abraham, move. Well, where? Um, I didn't tell you where. Just move. You're going to have to do something. And so Abraham starts gearing up people. He creates a posse, and he starts heading out into a place, right? And so this clean and clear idea sounds good on paper. It sounds great in a conference, but when it actually works out in your real everyday circumstance, it's never quite what you thought it was. Not everything from point A is bad. Not everything needs to be cut and severed and thrown away. Our histories have good in them. Amen? So you don't just get rid of all of the old. There is good inside of it. And then you have to be honest. Not everyone has the same experience with A as everyone else. Sometimes locations treat people differently depending on where you're situated inside of that. In fact, maybe you loved your point A, and you're thinking to yourself, it was pretty nice, very comfortable with the status quo. Things we have, the ways of life, were very familiar. I think it's great. But others, however, may be in the same point A as you, but they experience it completely different. They're not saying, I need to unstick from it but they are welcoming the change because for some, a location is uncomfortable, unstable, under-resourced, maybe even oppressive. And if that's you and your experience with a point, then you're like, dude, I can't wait to get out of here. This thing has to end. I need to move on and up and out of this place as soon as I can possibly do that. And so when you get on the road, you start to leave. Once you, once you, once you unstick, you get on this road and you start to realize that maybe you ended up in this middle area longer than you thought you would. And so you start to think, well, man, I, I, there's barriers here. There's, maybe there's enemies. Maybe in the desert area, there's, there's wolves out here. You start to think, well, maybe this point A, point B thing sounded good, but then I realized my point A had a, a beta version, and I had to throw the whole system out and recreate the program altogether. So now I've got a point A, point one, A, point two, three. Maybe the whole thing is completely shifted. I'm on like version 400, and the whole thing has to be reassessed, and then you haven't even seen the fullness of what point B even looks like. Now, this is what I want us to, to see in this. In, in, involving God, it is often a faith journey. And the clear-cut, clean depiction that our culture wants us to see inside of these things could be an idol that we're holding on to. In fact, God often just says, I just need you to trust me. Do what I say, be obedient. The crystal clear future that you wanted to pick is actually a little bit more elusive than maybe you thought it was going to be. The search for it might be an idol in your heart, and God requires faith, because if you knew, in one example, the giants that were in that land, you wouldn't have gone. So I'm not telling you about the giants quite yet. If you knew the fullness of what was going on in there, if you could see how much better point B was from point A, you would maybe loosen your grip on that immediately, but you just need to trust me. I'm telling you, go and be obedient when I've told you to go. Now, I want to give an example from Exodus chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. It picks up right in the spot where Moses had a really, really nice point A. His here wasn't so bad in Egypt. It turns out that when you are under the protection of Pharaoh's daughter, life is pretty nice. 
The royal living is, is not something you're trying to get away from too quickly. He got to partake in all the benefits, all the privileges. Ancient Egyptian royalty, nobility, and clergy enjoyed lives of wealth and comfort while farmers and slaves struggled to subsist. Moses had access to the latest opportunities of education, lavish foods, banquets, wine. But one day, God initiated an unsettling from point A in Moses' life. It says this in verse 11, 11. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, now, you see, Moses' experience at the top of the pyramid in Egypt is much, much different than those at the bottom of the pyramid, who we call the Hebrews. They're enslaved, and they live underneath the weight of the pyramid. God decides to wake Moses up. And so as his eyes begin to be opened, that were closed for possibly years. Why do we know that? Because the verse said, after Moses had grown up, he spent multiple years before his eyes were opened to what was going on out in front of him. It says, who, who does Moses, who does it say inside of the scripture that Moses saw once his eyes were opened? What does it say? The Hebrews? Is it more specific than that? His own people. It says it twice, just in case you missed it in there. His own people were what he noticed. And that detail is important because he saw this, it says in here, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And I think the reason that that's important, the reason that is emphasized and stated two times is because had Moses not identified himself with them as kin, his brothers, his sisters, his mothers, his fathers, his cousins, then perhaps the story would have been different. Maybe he looked out there, saw it, turned right back in to his palace and lavish lifestyle with nothing more than a glance over his royal balcony. But God did something different in this moment. And so what I want us to do is embrace this principle. When the people at the top of the pyramid don't see the people at the bottom as their own people, then change is probably not likely to occur. And so God disrupts Moses. He disrupts his way of life. He disrupts his comfort. He is so impassioned. Moses gets angry and he acts out, but he doesn't quite pan out the way that he thought. And so in verse 12, it says this, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. So in this moment, we see at this point um, that in point A, Moses is now rejected by both the Egyptians and the Hebrews. So where does that leave Moses? He is a person with no people. He's out in the desert in Midian. He finds himself in this gray space between point A and point B. He's left his other place. In fact, he was not allowed to, make, to, to stay in point A. And now he has no place to call home. He has no people to call his own. He has no heritage to claim. He has no treasures or wealth to lean on. He has no identity 
but this is a perfect location for God to do some work inside of Moses. So this is what happens, picking back up in verse 21. It says, Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Note that Moses never fully sees himself as a citizen in that middle ground. He's connected by blood, but God is going to carry them all into a new season that no one, none of the players on the field could have imagined happening. So verse 23 says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Moving right into chapter 3, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to a far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now while Moses was being shaped in the desert, God had not forgotten the cries of his and Moses' people. While he's being shaped, God had not forgotten the covenant promise that he made with his people, though it seems perhaps Moses did forget. So this next moment is really important because Moses could have once again gotten real comfortable in that middle ground. He's pretty comfortable there, not in that he has the same royal lifestyle that he used to have, but at least no one's trying to actively kill him in this space, right? And so he has family there now. He could live a long and relatively peaceful shepherding, uh, a a life shepherding the flock of his father-in-law. Moses could have hid himself in the desert for the rest of his life, but God visits again. God disrupts him again. God gives another commandment for Moses to move. And so this is what it says in verse 3, sorry, chapter 3, verse 2. It says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And this is the beginning of the famous burning bush experience. Now, I don't have time to read it all to you, but I want you to remember, Moses goes over to check out this burning bush. He's trying to figure out what's going on. He has this powerful, powerful encounter with God who gives Moses his personal name. First time his personal name is mentioned, and his name is Yahweh. In revealing his own name, God also anchors his own identity in the Hebrew history because he says this, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Jacob, sorry, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so part of the power of that statement that I think you need to see is that not only is this kinship part so important for empathy, for identifying with people, but God himself is trying to make sure that Moses remembers, these are your brothers, these are your sisters. This is your family, and they are still suffering in the land of Egypt. And so Moses is unsettled again, and this is when Moses gets assigned to do something new. Continuing in the story, verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with what? Just making sure you're listening. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, And Jebusites, I got to take a big breath after that, that's a long one. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians. 
the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So without verse 10, we've gotten to verse 9. If you have your Bible open, you can maybe read verse 10 ahead and see what's about to happen. But without verse 10, if we just stopped at 9, Moses can get behind everything that just happened. He can say all kinds of amens. In fact, you see it crescendo. It's like God's like, I've seen their misery. And Moses is like, all right. No, I am concerned for my people in Egypt. Amen. Their cry has reached me. All right, Yahweh, let's do this. Go get them. I am coming down to rescue them. Yes, somebody should do something. And then verse 10. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, I like to think of it as, the, you know, the music's getting louder, it's building, and all of a sudden you got that record scratch, like, and he's like, wait, hold up, hold up. Yahweh, we're personal friends now. Um, I said somebody should do something. I didn't say I should go do something. And God says to him, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And I think God took Moses into the desert to get rid of the Egypt that was still left in him. And so he could take a bit of the desert and all of the hard work that he did out in that desert back into Egypt. So you don't just cut away your history. God's doing something. You don't always just leave point A behind, but there are parts that God is saying, this is good, this is bad, this needs to be helped, this needs to be healed, this part of you needs to, this wound needs to be figured out right here, this little bit of something needs to be worked out of you because it's not good in you, it's actually sin, this idol needs to be pulled out of you and left behind, but here's some good stuff, you learn some humility, you learn how to shepherd people, you learn how to care out in the desert amongst the shepherds, and so now I want you to take a little bit of that desert and bring it back into Egypt, and he goes on assignment and says, confront the demonic empire and bring the Hebrews out. You guys can see where this is going, maybe. Moses tries to get out of it. Well, I can't speak very well. All right, I got Aaron. He's coming to help you right now. Before you asked. But how are they going to know that, they, that you sent me? Oh, you see that stick in your hand? It's actually a magical serpent snake. You're going to throw it down. And it does all kinds of crazy things so that when you go back there and they say, by what power do you come? You're going to say, Yahweh is with you because I am with you. So you have power and I am not leaving you. What other excuses? Come on, Moses. Let's go. We're not leaving them in point A because we have listened to their cries and point A was not good for them. Let's get them out of here. Well, Moses is thinking, well, even if we get him out, then what? Where are you going to go? What are, what's going to happen next? If you read between the line, what's the vision, God? I told you. There is a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. You see, God is leading Moses through this journey. And it has a little bit of, we got to get rid of point A. We gotta unsettle from point A. We gotta revisit the realities of point A because not everyone has the same experience in point A as you had sitting at the top of that pyramid. 
And I'm going to bring you out into this area because it's a little bit different than maybe what you thought. And I have to get rid of some things, but also work some things into you. And then I'm going to have you go there to point B. But it also has this messy middle ground. Moses is acting in faith. God did something unique in the end. And I'm going to say, I don't even think that we see the point B quite yet with Moses. This is still just the beginning of his story. And what ends up happening is that God does something greater than any one of the people involved, including Moses himself, could have ever envisioned or imagined could happen through him in the land of Egypt. In the end, no luxury in the empire of Egypt could have compared to the fruits of the kingdom of God that he was doing in his life. Now, now the question for us is, do we believe that same thing could be true in ours? Do we believe the fruit is greater than some of the comforts and familiarity that we've had back in point A? What does this say for you and I in our current culture? Well, here, this is where it's going to get a little bit real. I think that we've learned that, in general, this idea is true, right? It emulates this movement. It helps us kind of gauge where we're at inside of our journey and what tends to happen. You can't stay here. It can get too comfortable. It's sometimes just a place of survival that's not healthy for you anyways. This place is not the fullness of what I have for you to do that. You're going to have to go over to point B, but there's growth to be had. There's a place here of thriving that you have yet to embody. There is greater things still to come. And so we're all on this journey, just like Moses is doing. But what does this say for us here and now in our culture? Well, it depends on what your point A was. What was your experience in the point A? Was it an Egyptian experience or was it a Hebrew experience? And so for us in the white community, we have had mostly an Egyptian experience inside of the American context. If you can't say amen, you got to say ouch. I heard a pastor say that once. Now, if you've been tracking with Common Ground, this isn't new to you. If you're new to Common Ground, this is something we are passionate about. We've been discipled by a culture. And, but, but what I think the call is in the white community is to be awakened to the iniquity of that empire. And our culture has been constructed and built with racism written into the fabric of it. And it cannot be ignored because God has or should be opening your eyes. Then the temptation is just to get out in the desert and say, well, I'm not a part of the empire. I, I'm aware, but I can stop there, right? I can just hide in the desert. And God's like, no, yeah, no, that's not going to work either because there are brothers and sisters back in Egypt, and we can't just leave them there. We have to be unsettled by the injustice created there and be willing to take actions to untether ourselves from the advantages, to establish a new society that honors all who have been marginalized. So here at Common Ground Northeast, we've been on a journey for about five years on a journey. We have not arrived by any means to point B, but it feels like maybe the vision is starting to come into a little bit clearer focus. And my hope is that we've seen some things, or rather God has opened our eyes to some things. And my prayer and hope is that we've undergone a heart change in the midst of that inside of the mostly white community. A holy unsettling should have occurred. And so we've come to acknowledge and understand that being white comes with benefits, with advantages. Can I say privilege? Does someone get mad at me about that one? And in a racialized American culture that has discipled racism into us, and as a result must be discipled out of us, 
that reality has to be seen and embraced and moved towards. And so when we read this story, we see that there's a couple options, a couple of places Moses could have ignored what he saw. In Egypt, he could have looked the other way when people were being mistreated, but God opened his eyes. He could have hidden in the desert and said, well, I'm good here, but do I really have to go back into Egypt and undo some things? And the Hebrew people didn't have an option in either case in that scenario. And so as the saying goes, it's not enough to be non-racist. We must be anti-racist. It's not that different than God leading Moses back into Egypt. Because it's not enough to just depart from the injustice of Egypt. You have to go back into it and disassemble it. So God assigned him, gave him a mission to say, go back in and deal with this Pharaoh. God said, move. I'm not calling the white community Moses. Let me make sure that we're clear on that. But I do think we have Moses to follow as an example and say there are footprints well-worn, a prophetic sandals that we have to fill if we are willing to embrace that and move. Because structural and systemic racism is an empire that has to be dismantled. It will require faith. It will require uh, courage. It will require grit. It will require sticking to it when you want to give up because you have the opportunity to give up And when pharaohs come against you, it's easy to see them as more powerful than they are. Common ground northeast, are we ready to move? Are we willing to look into those eyes and say, let my people go? Well, there's another point A that I want us to all consider. Uh, As a result of that same framework, what we have been handed is a church of segregated cultures. And it's my strong belief that one of our point A's is that we can no longer remain in the land of homogenous, culturally specific churches. White, black, brown communities separated. We can't stay there. And so as new people coming into this new year and as we're welcoming new people into our community, We're all going to have to be willing to discern our future together in a way that doesn't deny the good history of what God has done in our cultures, but also that maybe there's some heart work that needs to happen, that there has to be a willingness to decenter our cultural preferences, to honor one another and their cultures, and find a new common ground in order to become something new. Now listen, this destination is greater than the culturally segregated destination we have been living in. It is greater than our here and now. It looks more like the kingdom of heaven, which is what I want us to point ourselves towards because what's the vision? That's the common question. Where are we going with all of this? I think we've been in this middle area for a while, but I want to read to you what I think the point B is for us in the kingdom. Are you ready for that? Revelation 7, 9 says this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every what? Nation. Nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they're all praising God together. 
Now, I've told you about this before, but when Pastor Ken came just as a guest speaker one time, I led communion like I always do, and I anchor us in Passover, and then I point towards the banquet table where every tribe, tongue, and nation will be eating together. And I remember thinking for the first time in our history, I pray this prayer aspirationally because I typically look out and see only white faces in our congregation. But when people came to watch Pastor Ken, when the healing place came in mass and showed up, and I saw two different communities hanging out, one in this moment as Pastor Ken was preaching, and I've got to say and lead communion in a completely different way. Because I saw the reality of that new heavens and new earth sitting right in front of me. That's the vision. That's the vision of what we can become. And so here's a practical way in which this is going to need to happen, the way it looks. In our culture, doing this is not normal, and it will be disrupted to the culture if we accomplish it. That is a giant we will have to overcome if you are willing to go in and seize the land. In a culture like ours, where we keep saying this, this term preferences, uh, Pastor Ken said this, preferences and principalities are in our way, right? And those two things are probably a lot closer than we want to admit they are. And so there will be cultural preferences that need to be let go of. There will be demonic forces that need to be prayed against in the midst of this. Are we willing to engage in that call? And so practically, here's some things I want you to consider over the next month. Pastor Ken is leading a month of prayer every, during the weekday at 6 a.m. every single morning for you to jump on. It doesn't take a lot for you. You don't even have to have your video on. You can have your hair all looking crazy and just listen in. And Pastor Ken is going to lead. There will be a point where there's some sharing options and he's going to have some guests come in and help out. But six o'clock every morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, he will be leading us through a month of prayer, leading up to, at the very end of it, one of our, our experiencing God's uh, uh, nights where we get to pray, praise, uh, and practice the gifts together. That's the last Saturday of this month. It's kind of an end cap and a seeking God in something new today. So I want to encourage everyone to be as involved with that as they possibly can. Part of the idea is that you can kind of listen as you're getting ready for work and whatever it is that you're doing for that day and participate as a group. And the Healing Place has been doing this for how long? About six years this month long of prayer. And so this is something that Common Ground gets to be invited into that is culturally not normal for us but something we get to be a part of that is powerful and helps us usher in this new year in a brand new, fresh way. The second thing is, in the midst of our season right now, we need volunteers. And so it's not a coincidence that we all of a sudden have a lack for volunteers and now have people who are new coming in, checking it out from the area, who have moved into this place, the people from the healing place who have come in, and all of you have high-level leadership and volunteer capabilities. I don't think that that is a coincidence. I think God is saying, yeah, that's a puzzle piece. Lock those things in. Because in the midst of it, while we need people on our engagement team, our formation team, our ops team, we need people to help out with our children's. We need people to help out with our worship team. Look, I know that in the black community, acoustic guitar-led worship is not the thing. But it will stay the thing until we have volunteers to come in and help us decenter that. As awesome as Caleb was this morning. And so we need volunteers in our worship team, in our media team. We need sound people. We need people helping out with our slides. We definitely.
really need people to help our online streaming stuff because right now Katie has basically just been doing it all on her own and we need people to help shore that up, people to help host online so that the people who are online in that community can feel connected to somebody on this side of it. There's a hospitality team and greeters, there's hosts, the people that come up and do kind of all of the different things that, that Pastor Ken was doing today. There are opportunities ready and available if you want to be a part of what's next, of what's new, and listen to this, it gives you a voice in shaping what that next new thing is. It's not just the need on this side. It is the opportunity to speak into whatever it is that Common Ground Northeast looks like moving forward. Now I want to end with this. I believe that all of us have been called to move in one way or another, out of the familiar and into something that is new. Whether it is crystal clear or not, I cannot promise. Whether it's a clean cut from the old, I can't promise you that because God is in control and I'm asking us all to walk into a moment of faith and trusting God into whatever the new, new is because it will be unique. It will be multifaceted. It will be multicultural. It will be multivoiced. But it's going to require something great in our faith to accomplish it. And if something, uh, and, 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 and to move into something that we believe cannot happen is, is going to require, that, that, sorry, that the culture around us believes cannot happen, that's Revelation 7 9. It's going to take a lot of courage. Um, but this is what Jesus prayed, prayed. And this is how Jesus taught us to pray. Um, the kingdom doesn't just exist in verses in Revelation. The kingdom doesn't just exist in some fake place in our hearts and our minds and our imagination. He says this, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So if nothing else, we have to believe that that's possible. Would you pray with me? Yeah, so Lord, we thank you um, for vision. We thank you for the ability and the opportunity to do something that is new in our day and age, that is countercultural, but that is so kingdom. And so God, from whatever is in our past, in our history, that is good, help us to hold on to those things. Whatever is preference, whatever causes us to be able to let go and move forward, Lord, help us to discern that adequately and correctly, Lord. Whatever it looks like to go back and confront the pharaohs of our age, Lord, assign us, give us courage, faith, and boldness to go speak out. And God, whatever needs to happen to mold us, to shape us, and to make us new, make our hearts open and willing, Lord. Give us new hearts if we need it. It says in Ezekiel 36, 26, that I am giving you a new heart and a new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Father, whatever it takes to get us there, to see the realization of the kingdom of heaven here and now, you become our vision. We ask for this right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.